we've been going through a series that has um, caused a lot of personal reflection in my own life, in my own attitude, searching my own heart as to how to relate to them and how to apply the, the biblical perspective to what we have as a society today, especially in regards to education. I'm going to wait for um, it to come through. As Mrs. Bailey said, there was a time when we didn't have PowerPoint or computers or all the other accoutrements. They are helpful, and this morning I, I intentionally want to use it because I want to begin to wrap up some of the themes and concepts that we've been talking about in regards to education, in regards to Christian education, um, especially for us as a church. And this morning we're going to be looking at it specifically in, con in the context of how it relates to the Word of God. Keep praying. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Last week, you can probably see it there on the screen already, we were comparing two things, and I asked you in a, sort of a pop quiz, what, what comes to your mind when you think of something that's yellow on the outside, white on the inside, and that is very sweet? You remember the answer, right? when it came to what is true food. Um, there was a time in my life that I would have answered, it's the, the Twinkie, not the banana. That's what the first thing that would have come to my mind. Uh, fruits were not part of my um, repertoire, my culinary repertoire. And my mom would try to push those things on us and we didn't like them, we didn't want them. If she had us choose between now and laters or an apple, the apple flavor now and laters, you know, took precedence. Um, and if we had to choose between a banana and a Twinkie, we certainly chose the Twinkie. And this morning I wanted to start picking up on that comparison again because we use that as an illustration. Yellow on the outside, white on the inside, and sweet. Just because something is described that way does not make it a banana. And when we look at education, just because something gets the, the labels of math, English, history, doesn't mean we're talking about education. It doesn't mean that we are talking about what education really is, what true education is. The Bible is a document that, by its own claims, supersedes other human documents. Because the Bible is not a document that has been generated or developed by humanity. God, through his Holy Spirit, has inspired men to write on his behalf. So the Word of God claims to have precedence over every other written document, whether it be a document regarding history, a document regarding the sciences. And the Bible doesn't say we are, it is a science book. What the Bible presents is that the laws that govern science have an origin, and it's a personal being. It is God the creator. 
In, the, in that sense, the Bible overarches and, and touches everything that is related to academia. All the dis disciplines, all the various ways in which education, as we come to know it as math, science, history, music, etc., we, we, we have somehow d divorced these disciplines from the one that originated all of them. Light, sound wave, our eardrums, the way we perceive music. Music is highly mathematical, yet we don't experience the mathematics of it. We experience the emotions of music, do we not? But yet, the frequency of the sound waves and that how those sound waves travel through the air, enter into our drums, and it's not just words. It's not just the words that grab us. God designed us, and God created music for us so that he could evoke and we could express things that sometimes words fall short from. I mean, why, why do we have, you know, when we're in love and we're wanting to make sure that the person we love knows that we love them, we don't simply tell them, I love you. Many times, either we pick a song that says the same words, but putting melody to it does something. Education needs to be rebooted in our minds. Because education, as we have come to think of education, we have separated education from its origin, from its creator. Math, science, biology, chemistry, ourselves, the way we, we relate to history, the way we relate to math. Everything finds its origins with God. And education needs to be rebooted in our minds. And I speak from experience. What this series has done for me is coalesce things that should have never been separated. Put together things that should never have placed apart in my worldview. As Christians, we have a tremendous responsibility to the world... And education starts at the center. We, we have in our, in our country a, a blessing that many times we misunderstand. Many Christians decry the fact that we no longer have prayers in our schools. And what, what we mean by prayer is prayer to the Father in the name of Jesus. And we complain that and protest that Prayer is no longer part of public schools. Now, I want to present to you a, a, a biblical perspective of how should we, we should be relating to the links between government and the church. And it's very simple. We need to have separation between church and state. The moment you have government endorsing or suppressing any religious movement any religious groups, we no longer have a democracy. We no longer have a republic. Things that have made our country beautiful. So yes, we, we may complain that prayers are no longer in the schools because the government has taken prayer out of the schools. My question would be to the Christians, is that all that it took for you to stop praying in school? Do we need the government telling us you need to be praying in public schools? We shouldn't. We shouldn't want a government that tells us that. 
We shouldn't want a government that spells out by, through civil laws how you should relate to God spiritually. Do we want a kind of government? No, we don't. Not an earthly one. That's why the United States has become the safe haven to pretty much every religion in the planet. Because we have this beautiful phenomena, unique phenomena of religious liberty. Where the government cannot dictate my conscience and how I relate to God. Praise the Lord for that. So though we may not have prayer in the school anymore, actually this is where I began to realize that the, the secular government setting up a school system has two choices. If we want the government to include the Judeo-Christian God in it, then we should also uh, want or say you need to put the Muslim God in there too. And all the Hindu gods as well. Do you understand the logic? Otherwise, we as Christians like having the upper hand, suppressing the other religions, but that's not a democracy. That's not religious freedom. We would not like it if Muslims or Buddhists or, or whoever, other religious groups, were in cahoots with the government and they were suppressing Christianity as we see it in other parts of the world. We wouldn't like it then, right? We need to be consistent. And the Bible wants humans ask God for a king. That's the moment that God made a separation. The king settles secular matters. But a king will never officiate as a priest. The priesthood is separate from the kingship. So in the Bible, we have this principle of separation of church and state, and public schools, by definition, should not endorse any God. Does that make sense? Thus, presenting for us Christians, I believe, a simple choice. I don't think it's going to work, so we'll just go from here. This is the question that I want us as parents, soon-to-be parents, to think about. A public school system will present, and we should not protest this, a public school system, educational system, will present a worldview in which God is not essential, God is not relevant, God is not to be tolerated, God is actually harmful when we put him in the picture. In the scientific arena, as an example, there's great animosity towards God. There are many, I've read articles in academic journals of high-position scientists decrying and, and denouncing any inclusion of a God picture in the sciences because they're saying, their argument is, it will harm children. Why teach children fictitious myths as facts is their argument. We should only be presenting to children empirical, factually verifiable information. To do otherwise is to harm their minds. Therefore, God should be completely filtered out of all academic pursuits. And I don't really find that offensive because he is speaking specifically 
about a public school, about a tax government-supported school system. Many Christians have been given a wrong version of Christianity in this country. The reason you and I can worship according to the dictates of our conscience is because we have always advocated for a separation of church and state. The moment we cross those cables, what church will the government endorse? And if it's not ours, what happens then? Therefore, the creating of, listen carefully, the creating of the development, the development and support of a Christian school system becomes imperative. Because we have two choices. A school system that should and does leave God completely out of the picture, at least it tries to. There may be exceptions, but legally, it leaves God out of the picture. So that is a place where I can place my child to receive an education. Or, as Christians, we can look for resources, be creative, be responsible, aim high in the academic area, seek to provide an education that is just as good as all the other schools, but intentionally, intentionally place before our children the reality, everything is linked to God. Everything is linked to God. There is not one part of our lives that should be separate from God. So this really is what education begins to boil down to when looked at from the scriptures. That's why the sermon this morning is entitled Education slash the Bible. How does the Bible relate to us in a secular society, in a society that we have religious freedom, we have secular public schools, and we have Christian education? I guess in essence as a pastor... My, my, one of the main driving points that I see from the word of God is if God is not optional for the Christian, what kind of an education should govern or direct the direction my children go? Last week, Jason Hamstrup introduced to us the greatest educational tool ever invented. Who remembers what it was? The pencil. Why was the pencil the greatest educational uh, invention ever created? Had an eraser. Why does that make, why did that make it the greatest educational tool? What about the eraser allows for learning, growth, empowerment, trial and error? How many of you guys have done math? And we're thankful for the eraser. <laughs> I remember in Argentina, we were learning long divisions, and uh, I made a hole in the paper. Has that ever happened to you? You erase so much, you're erasing the following page. I want to take it a step further. All pencils, including the one Laura had here this morning, all pencils have this much lead 
this much eraser. I showed you last week a small snippet, and I put it in context. This has nothing to do with politics. It has everything to do with education and how we view the world. Last week, I shared with you a quote from a, a very prominent figure, Donald Trump, and how he relates to forgiveness. He claims to be a Christian, but when he asked, do you ask God for forgiveness for your actions, your wrong actions, sin? He said, I don't think I do. I don't, no, I don't, actually. And so what he is saying is, Laura, do you have that pencil, that nice sharpened pencil with you? Sorry, I didn't mean to catch you off guard. It's probably in your purse somewhere, deep, deep, deep in there. Okay. Thank you. So in essence, someone with this worldview would go like this. We don't just get tests at school. There are times that in life we get tested as well. And the tests in life carry much more weight, much more repercussions for us. And so here we are, right, taking the test of life. Oh, man. Thank you, Lord, that you give us, what would be the eraser? What would be the equivalent in a Christian worldview? What is the eraser? Forgiveness, the grace of God. What Mr. Trump is saying, and many humans are saying, give me the pencil without the eraser. I can do just fine without it. If I make mistakes, I'll scratch over them or pretend they're not there and continue writing. Jason, you're a, you're a mathematician. What happens when you get one process, one step wrong in a mathematical equation? It messes everything up. Is an eraser important? How about for life? Is living with a worldview that gives me a pencil with an eraser, is that important for the mistakes we make in life? And this is where I want to take the step forward. I want us to go to the Bible. Open your Bibles to Romans chapter 5, verse 20. Maybe it will be good that it's not in the screen. Romans chapter 5, it will get us to do some movement, which is part of an educational process involving other senses. So we are talking about education. Romans chapter 5, verse 20. I want to show you this verse is speaking about God's eraser, God's pencil. This is God's pencil that he offers and offers consistently to every human being. Every human being, not just Christians. Every human being, God comes through his spirit and says, this is the pencil I would like for you to write with. Romans chapter 5, verse 20. Romans chapter 5, verse 20 says, at the end, the last part, I'll read it from here, and then I'll look at the part that I want to emphasize. The law came in so that the transgression would increase. But the last part is where I want to focus. Where, where sin abounded, grace abounded more. So now you, you describe to me what does God's pencil look like if where sin abounds, grace abounds more? What does the pencil of God look like in proportion to the lead and the eraser? The eraser is like out here, right? Which means that God gives us more eraser than we got lead. God's eraser can correct more than we can write wrong. Isn't that wonderful news? 
We cannot outmistake the grace and the forgiveness of God. Do we want our children to have that kind of a worldview? Or a worldview that an educational system will give to them? This is not if. And this is not, oh, they'll learn how to do drugs in public schools. No, they won't. Not every kid comes out a drug dealer or a drug addict out of public schools. Those are fallacies. But what is unequivocal and what is a reality is that every child that goes through a public school will come out with an educational worldview that has a pencil without an eraser. God, by definition, has to be left out of the public schools because we live in a country that honors religious liberty still. And we as parents are now placed with this choice. You know, I made a lot of mistakes in life, and I still do. And I'm thankful that as I look back on my past history, there are times that I wrote down 2 plus 2 equals 785. Huge mistakes. Way off. And I'm glad I have a Savior named Jesus Christ who came and said, do you want that to stay in your page of life? I said, no, Lord, but I can't change my past. I can't change what I've done. And then Jesus said, let me introduce you to my grace. Let me introduce you to a grace that makes all things work for the good to those that choose to love me. I can take the pain and the mistakes and the poor choices and through my grace create a miracle in your life that the curse becomes a blessing. And you read that in the Bible. Joseph is sold by his brothers as a slave. He is tricked into adultery by his boss's wife and he's resist. he decides to be integrity, have integrity and purity and he ends up in jail. Yet God takes every one of those mistakes, every one of those men I wish I would have written things differently, men I wish I would have had the, wrong, the different answer. God takes that. And Joseph said it. The things that you intended to destroy me, God has used them and overturned them to preserve life. Not just so that I don't die. By the, through all of that pain, it's a miracle that only God can do. And God desires us to live a life in which his grace is intricately attached to our life. I want us to read a couple of more verses. First John chapter 1, verse 9. It's close to the book of Revelation. First John chapter 1. You go to the book of Revelation... The book right before it is Jude, and before it is 3 John, 2 John, 1 John is the one we want to go. 1 John chapter 1, verses 9, verses 2, chapter 1, verse 9 through chapter 2, verse 2. 1 John 1, 9 is a verse that I memorized early on in my Christian life. 1 John 1, 9 is God's eraser. That's the essence of it. 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to do what with our sins? What does he do with the eraser? Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord we don't need to be haunted by the poor choices of our past. 
If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Which means that, check your paper, there's mistakes there. <laughs> there's, we, we get ma life's math, we get wrong. The, 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 the way and the, the way we see life, we get it wrong. Abraham's life clearly teaches us that. Abraham thought the sure way to protect my, my, my marriage is to negate that it exists. So my wife tell people you're my sister, then we'll stay married. Lies will bless us. Telling lies will protect us. We get life wrong. That's what the Bible says. Humans, devoid of a world God, of a God-centered worldview, we make mistakes. And Abraham knew God, but he chose to live a separate life. God, yeah, he made a covenant with me, but here I am dealing with Pharaoh. And with Pharaoh, I got to take that eraser and figure out how to fix things myself. As a Christians, keeping the eraser there, keeping God in the center, keeping God touching every part of my life, that's true education. Teaching our children, teaching ourselves. There can be no part of our lives that cannot, should not be touched by the grace of God. Every part of my life needs Jesus Christ. There is no part of my life in which I can say to God, you know what, you can take the eraser for this part. I got this. I've done that, and I know you probably have too. And those are the sources of our greatest regrets the moments we have left God out of the picture, are they not? We want our children for at least the years, listen carefully, we should want our children at least for the years in which their minds are most impressionable, in which their minds will absorb with greater intensity the information provided to them. And those are the early years the formative years in which the information that is provided to them will, to a great degree, anchor and cement the way that they relate to life. And this does not speak about the quality of the teachers or the quality of education. Many, many great teachers are, are working in the public schools, really wanting the their children to, to, to study and learn and do great academically. So there's no fault in that department. But what no public school teacher can do or should do or is able to do is include God into every part of the curriculum. And that's what makes the difference in Christian education. We teach children that they have an eraser attached to their lives. And that does not sink in the first time it's told to them. That cannot be as something that will attach to them just on Sabbath mornings for one hour. I mean... School is on, and it's going to be on in a little bit for nine months, for five to seven hours each day. And a curriculum in which places God first, middle, and last in all of its worldview, does it have the potential of leading our children to appreciate the eraser? Without the eraser... We are left with our mistakes on our own.
1 John 1, 9, chapter 2, through chapter 2, verse 2, points to Jesus as that eraser. The grace of God is not some mystical, misty thing, a cloud. It's a person. This passage finishes saying, and Jesus himself is that sacrifice for our sins. And not just for ours, but for the whole world. The grace that God gives you outdoes the mistakes you've made. Can you believe that? The grace and forgiveness God gives you can erase even the biggest and most painful decisions we can have ever made. I told you my friend Tamika, who in high school, senior year, asked me to give her money to get an abortion. And she did get that abortion. I can guarantee you, as she grew and she saw other mothers with little children, I can guarantee you she wished she had an eraser worldview for herself that she could go back to that moment in time in her history. And as painful as it was to admit, have a Jesus that says, it's forgiven, it's cleansed. I don't condemn you, go and sin no more. That's what we need to get through life in this world. That's the worldview your children need to have in the direction that our world is going. Could we afford to have children without a grace-centered, God-centered worldview? There was a time in which society clearly argues for a separate entity. We should stop trying to make public schools Christians. That's not what should be happening. What we should be trying to do is make sure that Christian schools flourish and are available to as many children as possible. Does that make sense? Because we want not just our children here, but what about the children around us, right? Why did God place us here so that we can come and sit and just have church for ourselves? Just have a school for ourselves? Would not there be families that need to know that there's a Savior that gives them a different kind of pencil? And not a pencil like this one with this little bit of an eraser. But one where, where their sins abound, their gra his grace much more abounds. It is, the grace of God is not just about forgiveness and, and clearing out the past. He transforms the present and redirects the future. He heals marriages. He restores homes. He set people captive by sin free. That's also the grace of God. That's also part of the eraser. The eraser teaches me day after day, trial after trial, how to answer right. That is the, the greatest goal of education. I don't think any teacher would be happy to say, great job, you've erased all of your questions, which means you've got all the wrong answers. Great job in using your eraser. A teacher is happy when they finally see after so many wiki, 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 wiki. Eventually, there is no more wiki, wiki, wiki. It's two plus two equals four. Right. Abraham, in the end, told his son, 
you need to go over there and sacrifice. And Abraham raised his hand with the knife, and God said, you got it. You got it. I want us to fast forward, since we will not be able to use the PowerPoint, I want us to fast forward to a part of the sermon that I want to spend some time in. Go to Genesis chapter 2, verse 9. And we'll use this as our segue into landing. Genesis chapter 2, verse 9. This will be our transition text to bring a close to this morning's message. Genesis chapter 2 and verse 9. I want us this morning to um, have a little brief Bible study. Genesis chapter 2 verse 9 says, In the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. We're very familiar with this narrative. Genesis chapter 2 verse 17 says, God speaking, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. You have two trees, tree of life and the one with a really long name, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. This is the exercise that I want you guys to do. Oh, God answered prayers. <laughs> okay, we did that one. We did that one. I love that one. When you look at pencils, I want you to think of the cross of Christ. When your kids are in school and when you're helping them with the homework and you see that pencil and that eraser, I want you to think of the cross of Jesus. His grace is sufficient for our lives. I want us... Uh, I'll go through this real quick, okay? The ladder of humility. Everything I know is wrong number one. Everybody, all Christians are offered this great blessing of perspective through the ladder of humility, and this is it. Everything I know is wrong number one, which is everything you know. Wrong number two is everything everyone on earth knows today. And how much is that? How much information, if we were to accumulate all the knowledge, like through Google and Facebook and all those engineers and neuroscientists and chefs and painters, if we were to accumulate all that knowledge of people today, how much knowledge would that be in comparison to what I know? Right? A grain of sand and the ocean. Is that a pretty close comparison? That's wrong number two, though. Wrong number three is everything everyone on earth could ever know with an infinite amount of time. Our only limitation will be our planet and, of course, the tools we would send, the little satellites here and take pictures there. But how much knowledge could we accumulate if every person on earth would have an infinite amount of time to learn? How much knowledge would that be? That's an ocean of an ocean. The fourth wrong is everything every created being in the whole universe knows and will ever know. How much knowledge is that? And the last one, what God knows. Now, this is the question. Listen, listen, this is the question. How much distance, how much space is between number five and number four? You tell me. How much distance is between what God knows and everything, every created being in the whole universe knows and will ever we know? What's the difference? What's the distance between number five and number four? Infinite. This is the perspective true education gives those that put God in the center. One of the surest fruits, one of the surest evidence I'm receiving a God-centered education is that through this perspective, I receive humility. Because 
this latter continually asks me the question, what do you know? Mr. PhD, what do you know? Mr. 20 years of experience, what do you know in this ladder? If there's an infinite space between five and four, what does that say between five and number one? All of a sudden, I need to go back to school. Keep this in mind. This gives me perspective. And the perspective produces a continual nurturing and nourishing of this quality called humility. Humility is one of the most brilliant attributes people can have. It truly makes people smart, humility. Because intelligence goes beyond IQ. God brings perspective to my academic achievements. The increase of knowledge naturally brings into the human heart pride. The little letters that we get after our names, after we finish college, the more letters, bigger the head. Doesn't necessarily have to happen, though. Because when I keep going back to that ladder of, of humility, it, keep my, it keeps those letters in perspective. The question gets, gets, keeps getting posed to me, how much do you know, really? So don't talk bad to your wife who you think knows less than you. Don't talk bad to your husband who doesn't have a college degree the way you do. Do you see how this ladder of humility affects our everyday life? It certainly affects how we relate to each other in church. God, who knows an infinite amount of knowledge, had no problem eating with the beggars, the poor, and the prostitutes. It was not beneath him. Those are fruits and evidence that true education is taking place in my life. When there is no human being that I will snub or look funny or think less of. That is the goal of true education when I put God at the center of it. God will always remain in rung number five and will forever change how I relate to other beings, other, other created beings. But that's the, 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 the negative aspect of, of um, the, the perspective. The positive is that it grants me humility, exactly the same humility Jesus exhibited while on earth. The creator of all things washed the disciples' feet. Sometimes we, we think of that as, you know, Jesus making a pizza. Jesus washing feet for the creator. President Obama will never do that. I can tell you that right now. Any of the presidents will never do that. Any of the monarchs, any of the rulers of this world will never, Putin, you will never see him washing the feet of other governments, of, of the drunks in their own city. But the creator of everything that exists in the whole universe, he washed feet. Can I know what God knows? Yes or no? I'll give you the answer, no. In case you were wondering. After we just saw this little exercise, the question is, can I know what God knows? And the answer is, but in parentheses, it states a reality. We tried. We tried in the Garden of Eden. 
And that's where I was going with, this, with this, the narrative of Genesis 2.9 and 2.17, trying to make this little exercise of summary. You have the tree of life and you have the tree of knowledge of good and evil. If we wanted to, like here, right, it's tree of life. How could we summarize this into three words? Tree of, from the day that you eat of it, you will surely die. So how could we effectively and accurately summarize the name of this tree over here? The tree of death. You got it. It's simple. This part's simple. The tree of death. Let's, let us do this exercise now flipping it. What if we wanted to expand this one? Like this one. The tree of knowledge of good and evil. The tree of life will be the tree of knowledge of what? John 17, verse 3. And this is eternal life, that they may know you. The tree of life is the tree of knowing God. What pride and sin has done is try to know what God knows and totally ignoring knowing him. Lucifer was not interested in knowing God. He wanted to be God. He wanted to obtain a knowledge that he could have never obtained. Because as high as the heavens are above us, just as high are his thoughts, could we contain eternity, infinity in a... Even Lucifer's brain was too small for the mind of God. And he thought he could handle the mind of God. And that's the distortion of sin. We want to know what God says, leave that alone. Come and know me. Stop trying to figure out your genetics and how to break the code of your genetics so that you don't die. I am offering you eternal life right now through my son, Jesus Christ. Come to know me. Stop trying to eat of a tree of knowledge of knowledge you, as a creature, cannot handle, will never be able to handle. So there's a difference between what God knows and knowing God. And the gospel, true education, the educational system, it has nothing to do. I mean, they're, they're not, we're talking about the most opposite things we could ever think of. A public school system will never touch this. It will never inculcate in the mind of a child a conscience driven by a God that is love. A God that offers infinite amount of grace. A God that offers forgiveness. No child will ever walk out of any public school system with that kind of knowledge. Can I know God? And this is eternal life, that they may know God. Is it possible to know God? Yes or no? Yes, it is. To know what God knows? Never. To know God through Jesus Christ? Yes. What does it look like? Colossians 2, verses 2 and 3. Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. To know Christ is to be able to grasp the originator of all that we study. And in all that we study, it would enlighten us and show us even better 
how to understand God. History, science, biology, chemistry, all of these disciplines should enhance my ability to appreciate and with humility love God. Ephesians 3.19 says, to know the love of Christ which, which passes knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Did you see the tension in this verse? It's not a contradiction, it's tension. To know the love of Christ which does what? Passes. How can you know something that passes knowledge? First day of class, I'm going to teach you something that you will never be able to understand. Exams on Tuesday. How can this be? How can I know something that passes knowledge? By special revelation. By this long word called condescension. There are things that Gian is asking us that are making us sweat. Things about her anatomy that's making me sweat in trying to explain to her. So I have to do this. Get down at her level. Uses words that she understands and concepts that she gets. And what God did for you and me is this. Get as slow as he could have possibly gotten. He did not become an angel. He did not become a sinless, perfect human being. He put on sinful, broken humanity. And through our broken humanity revealed the heart of God. So that you and I could have the awesome privilege to know who God is. Education, for people that obsess with only the academic, are looking at this much of all that education entails. The Bible opens to us the full panorama of everything that should fall under the category of education. You search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, and these, this book, is what testifies of Jesus. You want to know who God is? Study this book, study the life of Christ, Get to know him through this book. And schools that put this book at the center, beginning and end, and in the middle of it, will give children a knowledge that they cannot gain anywhere else. The topic of education goes well beyond grades and academic achievements. It reaches the heart. It transforms my propensity to pride through education rather than now I go to humility through education. Education no longer is a self, selfish, self-centered pursuit. Education now becomes a source of tools for service. How can I be a blessing to this world through what I have learned? When math, English, history, science, and everything else has God attached to it, it will lead us to a better understanding of who God is and his great love for us. We cannot divorce God from math, science, and history. It becomes a Twinkie. It no longer is nourishing, though it be yellow on the outside, white on the inside, and very sweet. It is not education, not the way Bible presents it to us. The greatest need of the world is the need of men and women who will not be sold, bought or sold. Men and women who in their inmost souls are true and honest. 
men and women who do not fear to call sin by its right name, men and women whose conscience is as true to duty as the needle is to the pole, men and women who will stand for the right though the heavens fall. This is the high calling, and this is the, is the potential that is placed within the reach of parents and children through Christian education. I have some questions in closing. As a church, we are a global, worldwide church. We collect our offerings and our tithes, and our tithes, a, a good portion of it is sent overseas. And overseas, these tithes money are uh, helped to create and build new schools, pay the salaries of Christian teachers, so that children in Hindu communities, children in other communities, can have access to a Christian school. Is that a wonderful thing, my friends? Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord that our tithes and offerings are helping to build schools and offer Christian education to children overseas. The question that I have is, if we're sending so much support for children overseas so that they can get a Christian education, what are we doing with the children, our children here? Are my children receiving a Christian education? Why am I so passionate and happy that Christians somewhere thousands of miles away are getting a Christian education when Christian education is across the hallway over here. Last Sabbath, I asked this question, and I told you the story of my parents. My parents were dirt poor illegal immigrants. And when we went to the Harrisburg First Seventh-day Adventist Church, the, my parents saw the school, and the first thing that popped into their minds was finances. Can't afford it. Almost 10 years later, After living a life with a pencil without an eraser for many years, public schools snipped that eraser. Talking with leaders in the church, they lamented and protested. Why didn't you come to us? Why didn't you ask us questions? Why didn't you explore the possibilities? And as your pastor, this series has changed and affected me. I need to ask you, mom and dad, have you at least considered, have you at least prayed about your children in our school? Have you prayed and asked God about where your children would receive their education with something so close? Why would we choose otherwise? Step forward in faith, my brother and my sister. Commit, sacrifice. Do whatever it will take for your children to receive that which will prepare them to face the real challenges this real life in this world will bring and will lead our children to live lives that will honor God, bless humanity, and in the end, grant them access once again to that tree of life an education that will attach to their consciousness the grace of Jesus to every page of their lives. Amen? Father, 
I want to thank you for your word. It corrects us. It enlightens us. And I want to pray, Father, for us, us responsible for our children. If the opportunities are there, Lord, if the resources are there, if the help is available, Father, will we come to you and ask? Will we consider an education that will place you first and foremost in every part? I also want to pray this morning, Father, for my brothers and my sisters who have parts of their lives that need forgiveness, that need erasing. I don't want to make this sermon just about education and leave that component out of it. I ask that through your spirit, we'll today accept the forgiveness that comes through Jesus Christ. And if this morning there's someone here that has not accepted you as their Savior, as their Lord, I ask, Father, that you hear their prayers right now as they reach out to you and invite you into their lives. May they experience your abundant grace that abounds way more than our sins ever could. Father, we place our lives before you. Lead us to make the decisions that will honor you and bless our families. In Jesus' name, amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.